You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Jesus. Amen. Dear Saints, one thing that pastors worry about and talk about all the time is this problem that that God's Word gets unequal time and attention in our lives compared to all the other words. Every week, just to think about it, every week... We have hours at work or hours at school or hours of entertainment. We have this barrage of information that come to us, facts and news, and some of it true, some of it false, some of it helpful, and some of it's uh, useful, some of it's useless, and it's just coming at us constantly. And and in the midst of that, we just have a couple of hours to study God's Word through through the week on Sunday morning and in Bible class and here and there during our family devotions and such. And most pastors are especially concerned about this when it comes to the youth and to school. There you have a solid eight to ten hours a day of education. And you compare that. I mean, this is the pastors say this kind of thing all the time. How can the church compare, compete with that with one hour on Sunday school? And I'm not, I'm not sure it's just the case for school. I think it's also probably the case for you guys who, who go to work. I, I keep hearing from you that the workplace is, is brutal for the faith. That the language is filthy. That there's a kind of an immorality baked into the work culture. That you, you report back to me that there's a hostility to the, to the Christian faith. Sometimes open mockery of the things in which we trust. I, you know, I'm, I'm in the office surrounded by theological books and I'm out of touch. But you, I, I think that I probably can't overstate the case. So I heard, in fact, this was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, one of you said this, going to work is like, is like a daily test of my faith. And I guess that the students would say the same thing about school. It's a daily test of your faith. And even if we're not working or going to school, there's this constant media barrage. And it's, it's not giving us Bible studies. <laughs> so that there's all these other voices, there's all these other, uh, there's all these other lessons that, that are teaching us, that are shaping the way that we think. And, and sometimes I think we don't even notice it. But you, you know this is true, that the things that we listen to, the voices that we hear, these are all informing and shaping the way that we think about the world. Now, you can imagine the pastors kind of sitting around trying to figure out what to do about this problem. And one of the solutions, by the way, is to try to get God's Word out over there, past the walls of the church. It's why we have those around-the-word devotions for you to take home. You can bring it, the church service, with you. It's why... The, uh, try to have the podcasts and all the other stuff that's going on, resources. that you, So you can hear the Lord's Word and the Lord's kindness out there in, in the wilderness, wherever it is that you, uh, that you are. But I, I would like to suggest, and not just to the pastors, but to you guys as well, that there is, an, in fact, an upside to the situation that we face. That there's an advantage that we have and a blessing for, for hearing all the time so much stuff that is anti-Christ outside the church, and it's, and it's anti-the truth of the Scriptures, that there's a blessing in that. Because it highlights for us the, the fact that the Bible is so fantastically different than everything else that we hear throughout the week. 
In other words, it's good to be able to recognize that the voice of Jesus says something different than every other voice that we hear. It helps the voice, his voice, stand out. It gives us, if we'll let it, fresh ears to hear the gospel. It, it sets us up in this way for the surprise of God's mercy. So just a, a few examples. We, we hear all week about power. That's just the part of the conversation of the world. And it comes, it comes to us in all sorts of different ways. You, you have the conversation of the survival of the fittest. Or even just these cliches that we hear. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Which is really kind of horrific to imagine. But we see people stepping over people to get ahead. One person goes behind another person's back just to get what they want. And what they want doesn't even matter. But it's just a fighting to get it. You, you do whatever it takes to win the rat race or whatever race that you think that you're in. It's a whole conversation about power. And then you come to church... And you hear about the meekness of Jesus, or the weakness of God, or the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, the kindness of God the Father. And you think, now that is different. Or another example. I think all week long we hear about sin as freedom. Uh, that it's good to do what you want to do, to live the way that you want to live. And anybody who says anything differently is to be rejected outright as trying to destroy your own quest for personal fulfillment. And it seems in this conversation that God is the worst of all. He doesn't want us to have any fun. There's a particular way that the devil works this lie. I want to think about it with, with you for a little bit. We, we all of us have a sinful flesh. We're born with it. And one of the marks of that sinful flesh is that it has sinful desires. The theological word is concupiscence. It means that, that we all have sinful desires and sinful inclinations in our wicked hearts. That means that we are inclined naturally, according to the flesh. We're inclined to be rebellious, to be angry, to be lustful, to be greedy, to be bitter, to be selfish, to be discontent and so forth. In, in, in other words, and this is the point, that your sinful flesh wants to sin. And the devil knows it. So the devil comes alongside and he says, you want to do that thing there? You want to do that sin? And our sinful flesh says, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And the devil says, well, I want you to do that too. I'm, I'm your friend. I'll even help you do the thing that you want to do. Okay, sounds good, says our sinful flesh. And then the devil comes along and says, but you know who doesn't want you to do that thing that you want to do? God. He wants you to do only what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to do what you want to do. He wants you to be his slave. I, the devil says, want you to be free. You see how the argument works there? The devil comes alongside our sinful flesh and he tries to convince us that he wants what's best for us. Now you recognize that conversation. It's the devil calling good evil and evil good. It's the devil calling freedom slavery and slavery freedom. It's the devil calling God a tyrant and calling himself your friend. So that the devil comes along and he excuses sin and he justifies sin and he makes a way for us to sin. And this is the constant conversation of the world and the flesh and the devil. And then we come to church and hear something different. The surprising clarity of good and evil, of right and wrong, of the Ten Commandments. 
Like, wow, that's different. Or, or just to give one last example. All week long we hear about merit. If you're a student, just about everything that you do is graded and judged. That's an A+, plus, and that's a C-, minus, and that's a failure. Even the stuff that you don't do is graded, zero. I, when I went to school, they didn't just grade your work, they graded your effort. You got, a, you got a grade on the test, and then you got an effort grade. So not only were your answers graded, but how hard it took you to get there was graded. It's amazing. And it's, it's, it's the same at work, right? There's performance reports. There's annual reviews. I was talking to someone that said, I said, what do you do? And they said, well, most of my time is, at work is spent writing reports about how I spend my time at work. <laughs> And even and it's just not just at work and at school, but even at home, there's a criticalness and a judgment that we give and that we get. So we notice that the neighbor hasn't picked up their leaves, and they notice that I haven't mowed the grass in quite a while. I mean, it's just the world runs on works righteousness. And I, and I think I can say it even better: the world, when it's working best, runs on works righteousness. It's good, in fact, to reward good work. It's good that hard work gets noticed. It's good that you pick up your leaves. It's good to do your homework. So that when it comes to being a good student or a good worker or a good neighbor, it's all law. It's all works. But then we come to church and hear something different. We hear that the Lord Jesus is not going to invite us into his office for a performance review. (laughs) We hear of mercy of grace, of sacrifice. We hear the preaching of the cross where where Jesus is doing his work of saving the world so that we could be his saved, his rescued, his redeemed people. To the one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's what we hear in this place and we think now that's different. It sounds totally different. It rings totally differently in our ears. It's different to what we're used to hearing and what we're thinking every day. Now, all of this and all of these examples is simply to say this, that the Bible comes to us, at least it ought to and it intends to, the Bible comes to us as a surprise. It's God's word from heaven, which means it's very different than all the earthly conversations that go around us, and that's good. The Bible should surprise us. I remember visiting with uh, missionary uh, Weber, Christoph Weber. He was telling me uh, how, how he had brought the gospel to this little family, little small little part of a tribe in the, in the edge of the desert in Botswana. And they'd never seen the Bible. They'd never heard of Jesus or anything like this. And so he, he came to them and he was reading them one of the gospels, maybe Gospel of Matthew or something like that. And the people were sitting there hearing this for the very first time. Now, can you imagine? And he was telling the story, how it was, that he tells of the birth of the virgin birth, that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and the people are just amazed at this. And then he tells them the story of the miracles of Jesus, and all of the people are so happy to hear of these stories. And he reads the teaching of Jesus, and the people are nodding as they understand the sermon, and they understand the parables that Jesus is giving. And then Pastor Weber gets to the Passion, and he says that the people were so, he read about, uh, that he read about Judas and the people were so angry 
It was one of his disciples. They said his friend did that. They were so upset with Judas. And they were grumbling with kind of seething anger as he told them about how Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and the people cried out for his crucifixion. And then he told the story of the whipping and the, and the, and the crown of thorns and Jesus being nailed to the cross and the people were weeping and they were sobbing to hear this as Jesus was laid in the tomb. There's a subdued sadness. And then, if you can imagine it, he read about how the grave was empty and the people looked at each other. And then, They heard the angel say that he wasn't dead, but that Jesus was alive, and that the people started to 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 sort of uh, get excited with joy. And then Jesus shows up, and they stood up, and they started dancing and singing because Jesus was alive, and they'd never heard anything like it. It's amazing to think about. They'd never heard any such good news. Anything so wonderful for the world, and for, for, so wonderful for themselves, and their hearts were overflowing with joy and peace. Now, we, we can't go back and capture that sort of thing, hearing the gospel and believing the gospel for the first time. We can't, we can't pretend like we don't know about the cross and the empty tomb. But, but we can let the Lord's word break across our ears with a newness and a surprise. We can come here and be gathered to this place and be astonished at what the Lord has done. It's an amazing thing that we come here week after week and, and just about every week we hear about some fantastic miracle that the Lord Jesus has done and has accomplished. And we think to ourselves, I'll just, I think to myself, oh yeah, I've heard that. I know all about it. I know how it goes. And it, and it underwhelms us. Now, it's good that we know these things. It's good that these things are not new to us. It's new. It's good that we, we, that we grew up studying these texts and these stories all of our lives. But it's also good that these things come to us new every day. The things that Jesus have done, and they surprise us. Now, with, with this in mind, I want to look at the text, because it's what happens. Jesus walks down to the house of Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue. And all the people, you have to see the picture in your mind, all the people from town are gathered there, and they have the flute players that are, that are, that are fluting, that are piping a dirge, and the people are singing, and they're, uh, these dirges, and they're mourning, and they're talking about burial, and they're having this conversation of sorrow this conversation of mourning, and this conversation of death. If we talk about the conversation that happens outside of the church, so much of it is about this, about death, or about how to avoid it, or whatever. But Jesus walks right into the middle of this, right into the middle of this funeral. And he declares, you guys go home. The girl is not dead. She's asleep. They'd never heard anything like this before. Nobody had ever heard anything like this before. Dead is dead. It's not sleep. When you sleep, you wake up. When you die, you don't. But Jesus comes and says, she's not dead. She's asleep. And the text tells us that they laughed at Jesus. 
They stopped playing their flutes. They stopped singing their songs to look at Jesus and laugh. Now, why did they laugh? It's because Jesus was talking about something that they couldn't even imagine because he was bringing such a different doctrine and a different teaching that he seemed absurd that their whole life and their whole conversation and everything that they saw was going this way and Jesus goes this way. She's Here they are mourning and weeping and Jesus says, she's going to live. But Jesus not only speaks this way, but he acts this way. And he's got a surprise for this crowd, for this girl. Now, can you imagine it? He he throws them all out of the house, and he goes into this room where the girl is lying there on her funeral, on her casket, and she's dead, and he takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up, truly. Raises her from the dead. Gives the girl back to her, to her father. And now the girl and the father are laughing, a different kind of laugh. It's a laugh of joy. Because the dead are raised. Dear saints, this this happened. There was a house filled with mourners because a young girl had died, and Jesus went into that place and raised the girl. We don't know her name. We'll be able to meet her in the resurrection and talk to her about that day, and she'll tell you about how it was. This is what Jesus did. He raised the dead right into the conversation about death and mourning. Jesus brings the word of sleep and life. And he'll do the same for us. Do you see the astonishment there and the wonder? Your Jesus raises the dead. And he will raise you one day too. Your Jesus forgives sins. And he has forgiven you. Your Jesus dies to rescue sinners. And you are rescued. (laughs) And these words... These blessings of Jesus, these are what carry us through. I mean, these are the words that carry us through the long days at work and school and struggle. These are the words that carry us through this life of trouble. These are the words that carry us even through death to life eternal, to the resurrection, where one day we will awake with wonder and see the face of Jesus. The greatest surprise and wonder of all. May God grant that we all attain that blessing and reach the resurrection to life eternal. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.